invite you to find your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1, and our scripture will be from verse 8 through verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I, may, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, I come before you on behalf of everyone here asking for your help, that you would grant us faith and understanding so that we may have these words in our hearts and that we may live by them live by our faith in them. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the middle of August, my niece and her husband received some really good news. It was uh, the good news that they had been waiting for uh, for well over a year. Enric, uh, my niece Mallory's husband, uh, was finally going to receive the legal paperwork that he needed in order to travel to the United States from his home country of the Philippines to be reunited with my niece and they would finally be able to settle down and begin their lives together uh, in Iowa. My niece Mallory uh, met Enric while she was teaching in the Philippines a couple of years ago. They were married in May of 2021 and it was their plan after the following school year to then move to the United States and settle down and by God's grace raise their family here. But with the COVID craziness still going on and uh, immigration being the messed up system that it is in our country when it was time for Mallory to start her job in the States in the fall of last year, Enric still had not received his visa and so they've been waiting and uh, we've been praying for them. And finally, they got the news in August, and by God's grace, Enric arrived in the United States last night. And uh, he and my niece were reunited, and my sister and my brother-in-law were finally able to meet and actually hug their son-in-law in person for the first time. So this week, as I was reflecting on the good news that Paul is teaching us about 
in our passage here this morning in Romans, I couldn't help but also consider the good news that my niece Mallory and her husband Enric received back in August uh, when he finally heard that all the work had been accomplished which would allow him to finally come to the United States. I considered all that was included in that message of good news for them. Included within that message of good news was the renewing and the reconciliation of a marriage. Within that message was also the promise of a new life for Enric and for Mallory in this country, as well as the promise of a new family that Enric would be able to enjoy, my family, here in our country. And included within that, in that good news was also the end to the frustration, the longing, the end of their marriage separation. So once Enric and Mallory heard that good news, they knew that finally the waiting would be over. There was a lot of good contained within the announcement of that good news. And that's also the case for God's good news that the book of Romans is revealing to us. The good news or the gospel of God is heavy. It's heavy with blessings for those who believe. Those who receive this good news and put their faith and trust firmly in it. There's so much contained within this message. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul will begin to show us just how great of a message this is and why it is the most important and valuable news you could ever have the privilege of hearing. So there's a lot of good contained within the good news of God. Our main theme then of our passage is that God's sovereign saving power comes to his people through the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're still in the introduction to Paul's great letter to the Romans here. And in this passage, we have Paul helping these believers in the church of Rome to get to know him a little better. Uh, Paul is revealing his heart to them here in these verses. He's getting personal. He shared with them what he had been praying for regarding them, what his driving passion was, and what his intentions are for this letter. And He does this before he begins to go into his extended teaching or his extended explanation of the Christian gospel. So Paul wants them to get to know him before they get to know his message. What do they always say? Uh, People will not care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, that seems to be what Paul is trying to do here with this uh, first paragraph that we, read, that, we, that we read this morning, which then leads into two of the most important verses in the whole letter, verses 16 and 17, which conclude our text. Uh, so these are the key transition verses then into Paul's teaching on the gospel, and they also kind of stand out as the great theme of the whole letter. So again, our main theme from our passage, verses 8 through, 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 through 17, is God's sovereign Saving power comes to his people through the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll work through this passage looking at verses 8 through 15 first, and then we'll slow down 
and look at each of these verses, verses 16 and 17, separately, since they carry so much of the weight of the entire book of Romans. So first, verses 8 through 17, the heading I put over these initial verses is that God uses individuals to personally deliver his good news to those who are destined to hear it. So Paul first mentions how grateful he is to God for this church and for their very positive reputation there. In verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So it seems that their faith and their testimony of the faithfulness of their faithfulness to the Lord was spreading around the world as the believers in the churches that Paul had visited would, would share about them. They'd share what they had heard. Paul now was not responsible for bringing the gospel initially to Rome and helping to get this church started. At the time of his writing of this letter, he had not yet even been to Rome. So he wanted to compliment them on what he had heard about them. And this is, this is a good model for us. First, when you meet with other believers from other churches, you know, you get to know uh, how they are serving the Lord there. And then, once you, once you hear that from them, then, then pass on, pass that on then to other believers that you know about them. It is something to then rejoice over together as believers. It, it, it's a reason to give thanks to the Lord and give him glory for what he's doing in and through the lives of other churches and other believers. And then if you, if you heard good reports about another church or, or other believers, you know, then w- when you are given the opportunity, seek to encourage them by sharing with them those encouraging reports that you have heard about them. That's what Paul is doing here. Uh, Greta and I are looking forward to attending the Midwest uh, District Conference of the Free Church next week um, down uh, in, in, in Kansas City and this is exactly the sort of thing that happens there between pastors and church leaders and those who attend. We end up encouraging one another by what we share with them about all of you, about what you are doing, about how things are going here. And, and we also are encouraged by what we hear from them about their churches. And then we, we pass on what we hear to others who we meet there at the conference. And then we worship together with those testimonies on our hearts which helps us to give more glory to God. Paul then uh, tells the believers how he had been praying for them. This is in verses 9 and 10. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So whenever he prayed for them, he had been laying out his main request before God, and that was that he would be able to visit them. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to visit these believers. Uh, Like all Christians, Paul made his requests known to God through prayer, but then he had to submit himself to the will of God. And even though he had really wanted to get to Rome as of yet, well, it had not been the Lord's will for him to go. So Paul clearly understands Proverbs 16.9, which says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now we know that Paul did eventually get to Rome. Uh, we, we read about that in the later chapters of the book of Acts. 
Uh, but what is interesting and instructive for us is how he ended up getting there. Rather than arriving in Rome as a free missionary of the Lord, he was led into Rome in chains as an arrested prisoner of the Lord. Again, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So Paul then shares his, his motivations for why he wanted to visit this church in Rome. He had three main motivations for wanting to be with this group of Christians. First, Paul desires the opportunity for mutual, mutual encouragement between him and the Christians there. Look at verse 11 and 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So the spiritual gift that Paul is referring to here is not some you know, miraculous gift that only he as an apostle can deliver to the Romans um, as if that's, that's how it worked. No, no, Paul is simply referring to the grace of building one another up in the faith. He seeks to encourage them with his presence and his teaching and his sharing of his love for Christ with them. And then he desires the same encouragement from them. Again, this is one of the primary blessings of the church gathering together each week. We gather together to encourage one another in the faith and to build one another up. That was one main reason why Paul desired to come to Rome to be with these believers. And what should be a main reason for why you want to come and worship here each Sunday? To seek to encourage one another in the faith and be encouraged yourself. The second motivation that Paul had, had uh, uh, to come to Rome was that he believed he was obligated to go. In fact, the word he uses points more to being indebted to different people to preach the gospel to them. Look at verses 13 through 15. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So within the church in Rome, the believers, as well as those outside the church, the Gentiles. Verse 14. I am under obligation, or I am indebted, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So driving motivation for Paul to come to Rome and to preach and teach how God's good news of salvation in Christ was uh, because he believed he owed it to them. He was in their debt. He was, he was in the debt of all sorts of different people. He believed he must do this in order to fulfill the debt he owed. Now, John Stott, and uh, he was an evangelical preacher um, who served a church in London for, for many years uh, in the uh, last century. He helped me to understand what Paul uh, is getting at here. You, you can be in debt to someone in two different ways. Uh, if I borrowed $100 from you in order to pay some bill that, that, that I owed, then, then I would be in your debt to pay you back what I owe you. You gave me $100. Now I am in your debt until I give you back the $100 that I owe you. That's, that, that's one way to be in debt and probably the most common way that we think about it. But there's another way to be in debt. Uh, if, if someone entrusted $100 to me 
to then pass on to you, well, then I am in your debt until I deliver that $100 entrusted to me and give it to you. It is, it is, it is that, it's, it's in that sense that Paul was in debt to all these people and all believers as well are in that debt who know the gospel. We are in others' debt. The Lord has entrusted us with this gift of the gospel message, which is not just for ourselves, it's also for others. And we must also think of ourselves in debt to others until we pass on this message to those who have not yet heard the gospel. We are under obligation, as Paul says here. Verses 16 and 17 make up Paul's third motivation for wanting to come to Rome uh, to preach the gospel there. That, that, that is his confidence in the power of the gospel. We'll focus on that in the next two points here. First from verse 16, where we see that God powerfully saves those who hear and believe his good news. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in verse 16, Paul shares an explanation for why he was so eager to preach the gospel to the believers who were in Rome. That's in verse 15. Uh, The first word of verse 16 is, is for, which indicates the reason for his eagerness that he shares in verse 15. It was because Paul knew God's gospel to be the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul will then build on that statement in verse 17, and then verse 18 will follow with a further explanation of verse 17. So from now on, in Paul's teaching in Romans, we're going to find him just continuing to build on his teaching on the gospel as he goes forth here, showing, showing why it is such good news and how this message can contain within it such saving power. You might have noticed there in verse 16, Paul once again begins the verse like he began the last two verses with an I am statement. Uh, Paul is still telling us about himself here in verse 16. He wants us to know his motivations, not only for wanting to go to Rome, but for proclaiming the gospel. We already looked at why he believed he was under obligation to preach the gospel in verse 14. In verse 15, he shared how eager he was to preach the gospel because he believed he was in in debt to those who hadn't heard the message yet. And now in verse 16, it is because he was so convinced of the gospel's power to save. Therefore, Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So think about those, those three statements in those last three verses. Verse 14, I am under obligation to preach the gospel, Paul says. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel. Then verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now consider, are those statements, are those statements, statements that you could honestly use to describe yourself? I'm under obligation to preach the gospel. I am I'm eager to preach this gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What Paul says in verse 16 reveals to us that Christians have been tempted to be ashamed of the gospel message 
since the very beginning of the church. When we read the book of Acts, we find out that from the earliest days, Christians were being threatened, imprisoned, and even killed for proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that his sinless life, his sacrificial death on a cross, and the real shocker, his resurrection from the dead, were the basis for the salvation from judgment for all who believed that message. Paul knew this very personally, for he had persecuted those who preached the gospel himself. And by the time he was writing this letter to the Roman Christians, Paul had also suffered immensely with beatings, imprisonments for preaching this gospel. Now today we all live in this secular, materialistic West, we live within a society that has departed long ago from the belief in a supernatural God who created us and who will judge us for all of our sins. And therefore, we are all tempted to just keep our beliefs to ourselves. What might our friends, our coworkers, or even our family members think of us if we ever actually explain to them God's way of salvation. The temptation to just keep this to ourselves can be incredibly strong. But Paul gives us a way to overcome this temptation. What is the way to overcome our being ashamed of the gospel? It is to know the gospel for what it truly is. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel message contains the power of God to save anyone. Anyone who hears and believes the message. Paul mentions the the Jews first and then then the Greeks, which was another way of saying non-Jews. Greeks are are, are those who are outside of the the Jewish uh, tradition. He's not speaking of a a preference here when he says this, but rather he's just speaking chronologically. The gospel was preached to the Jews first. So so it came to the Jews first, and Paul carried on this way. Whenever he would bring the gospel to a new city, he would first go to the synagogue in that city or the Jewish gathering place where the scriptures were read every Sabbath day, and he would preach the gospel uh, in those cities first then to the Jews there. And then he would also proclaim the message to the Gentiles, those, again, outside of the Jewish traditions. He witnessed the lives of both Jews and Gentiles transformed by the gospel. So this message is for everyone. We should never think that only the educated can understand the gospel. Or only those who seem to have their lives together can receive the gospel. We also must not think that those who seem to be defiantly against the ways of the Lord would never listen to the gospel and be transformed by it. Just yesterday I was... While I was uh, uh, running, I listened to an interview with Rosaria Butterfield, who first came under the teaching of the gospel while she was a defiant, liberal, lesbian college professor at a secular state university on the East Coast. You can imagine 
anyone who would fit in that category of defiantly being away from rejecting the gospel, that was her. And she was converted by God's grace when she heard the gospel, when she got to know true believers, and she's now written many wonderful books encouraging Christians to stay true to the gospel, the same gospel that powerfully transformed her life. So remember what Paul said back in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is, the gospel is for everyone. But as Paul also makes clear, not everyone who hears the gospel will be saved by it. There is a condition. There is a condition in order to receive the salvation. That is, God only makes righteous those who receive his good news by faith. Again, we read in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Who believes. Believing the promises of God's gospel is the only way of salvation. It's always been that way in redemptive history. It still is today and forever will be that way. We must put our hope and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection if we are to be able to stand before the judgment of God and be saved from condemnation. Our confession must be that Jesus Christ is our life, that he is our salvation, and that he is our righteousness. And our lives must reflect that he is our salvation. Our lives must reflect that reality. We will only be saved by faith. So here again what verse 17 says, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So remember now, we're still talking about the gospel here. Paul is making his case for why the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How is, how is it that this message about Jesus Christ and him being crucified for sinners like us How is it that this good news can can save sinners from condemnation on the day of God's judgment? How, How can that be the case? It is because the good news contains within it the righteousness of God. I would venture to say that that whenever you think about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the righteousness of God is probably not at the front of your minds. Or if if I were to ask you to tell me. What is the primary gift that the gospel reveals to sinners who believe it? The righteousness of God probably wouldn't be the first thing that you'd say. We, we, we all like to talk about the forgiveness of our sins or eternal life or being saved from, from hell. All wonderful things that the gospel provides. But the righteousness of God Well, it isn't something that we focus on nearly enough. But we'll find that in this great exposition of the gospel in Romans, that it is a lead theme for Paul in helping us to understand just why this message is so powerful to save sinners like you and me. 
why the righteousness of God is critical for every one of us to possess if we are to be truly saved. When the Bible talks about righteousness, it's usually pointing to one of two understandings of of righteousness. First is is that it's God's righteous or, or his just character, that whatever God does and says and wills is always right. It's, it, it, it's righteous, it's, it's holy, it's just. Or the righteousness of God could also refer to his gracious gift. His gracious gift of a right status before him that he grants to undeserving sinful people who look to him for mercy. That is through the saving work of his son, God makes the unrighteous righteous. When they look to Christ in faith and trust him alone for their righteousness before God, God gives the righteousness of his son Jesus to those who put their faith in him. Our greatest problem before God is not our sin. It is our unrighteousness. Our sin is a result. It is a sign that we are not right with God. Even what we do that we would consider good, well, those works that we consider good are still unrighteous in God's sight. They cannot earn for us a good standing with God. We are, in fact, his enemies. If we are ever to be able to be acceptable in God's sight, if we would ever have any hope of standing before the holy God on the day of judgment without being condemned, well, we desperately need to be righteous. Therefore, the righteousness of God is that righteous status that God requires if we are ever to stand before him without being condemned. And God achieves this righteousness for us through the atoning sacrifice at the cross, and then he reveals it in the gospel, and he bestows it freely on all who trust in Jesus Christ. So that is what I I meant by saying that the gospel of God is heavy with blessings for those who believe. There is so much good contained within this message, within this good news. But in order for us to enjoy all that, that good that is ours in Christ, we must believe. We can only receive it by faith. And we will only continue in it by faith. That's why Paul says here that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or it can be translated by faith from beginning to end. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or the one who has been made righteous by faith in the gospel shall have spiritual life and continue to live by that same faith. That is why we see Paul being so eager to go to Rome in order to preach the gospel to the believers there. We are mistaken if we think that gospel preaching is only for unbelievers. From what we see here in verse 17, the good news of our salvation found only in Jesus Christ is not simply for the purpose of converting non-Christians to the gospel. No, no, the gospel, especially as Paul explains it here in Romans, is essential for also building up believers. I mean, why does Paul fill all of his letters to churches, to believers, with explanations of the gospel? Again, it is revealed from faith, for faith. It begins and continues 
and ends in faith. Faith in the gospel. Faith in these promises. Faith is not just something we, we come to when we first believe the gospel and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Faith is something we must live by day after day after day. For our hope in this gospel will be tested. We have an enemy and we far too often depend on our own strength, on our own flesh to keep us going in life. And friends, God is telling us here we can only live and have our strength built up if we are daily living by faith in this gospel, trusting in Christ alone for our righteousness before God. So brothers and sisters, we are going to continue to work our way through this wonderful study of the gospel in Romans, if the Lord wills. We will, we will learn more about the righteousness of God. You will hear me say often that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what I want you to consider today as we close is, are you living by that faith? Are you reading God's word? Are you reminding yourself of what he says regarding your need for righteousness and his gracious provision of it for you in and through his son, Jesus Christ? Do you spend even just a little time each day reminding yourself of this life-giving, life-sustaining message? When you listen to music, you put those, those earbuds in to your ears. Are you listening to songs that are filled with gospel truth and God's promises. When you read books or read things on your phone, on the internet, are you reading things that will help you to grow stronger in your understanding of the gospel and help you remain in the faith? And if you do, are you then eager to share that message with others? with your children, with your friends, with the children that you teach on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights, with that family member that you've been praying for. Remember, it isn't just the non-Christians that need to hear the gospel. Your fellow Christian brothers and sisters also need to hear it too. Share it with them as well. Talk about it with them. Build up their faith as you both reflect on the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. May it be on our hearts and, our, and on our lips as we seek to make our way through this crooked and twisted generation, and may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May the Lord help us to live day by day by faith in it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we give you glory. We, we are so grateful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would help us today to recognize the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes in the gospel. That in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Our great need for righteousness and your gracious provision of it for us in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, help us to trust this word and live by it, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.